0: Hello, and welcome to the Consumer VC Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of venture capital and consumer. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and if you're enjoying this show, you can subscribe to my newsletter where you'll receive new episodes a week early. Head to theconsumervc.com and click subscribe. All content and episodes are for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not investment advice. Our guest today is Abe Shafi, co-founder and CEO of IRL. IRL is your group messaging app where you can chat, create polls, post photos, and coordinate plans with your friends. We discuss the founding story of IRL, the original thesis, Abe's approach to growth, and also how they had to pivot their strategy during COVID. Without further ado, here's Abe. Abe, thank you so much for joining me here today. How are you? Happy to join. Feeling great. Awesome. Awesome. That's great to hear. Talk to me from the very beginning. Why entrepreneurship? What got you interested in becoming an entrepreneur and and starting companies?
1: That's a great question. I think ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be an inventor. I wanted to make things. Making things is fun. Fun for me. I think there's something um, exciting about making things. And then when I learned that you could do that professionally, I was like, awesome. This is cool. I get to make stuff on the internet and And uh, people care about it, or I can make a make a profession out
0: of it. That got me excited. That's awesome. That's awesome. What attracted you to create a consumer facing business, and kind of what was the insight that led to IRL?
1: That's a good question. Let's see. Consumer facing business insight that led to IRL. What I would say at the at the very base level, I'm very into uh, cultural anthropology and understanding how people relate to the world. And relate to each other. I'm fascinated with that because I also think about it for myself all the time. And when thinking about making art or making anything, it's so fun to make something that has an impact uh, culturally around the world, an impact on myself, an impact on my family and friends. And another thing that's kind of meaningful to me is the first company I ever built was an enterprise software company. And what I learned during that time is whatever you work on, you become. So I was becoming an enterprise software person. I was you know, uh, wearing a suit and going to conferences and selling companies and you know it was fine. But after a while, I was kind of losing the connection to why I was doing it. And so I, after that company exited, I asked myself a much bigger question is, what do I want to become? Because I've learned whatever you work on, you become, you kind of obsess over it. It influences you as much as you influence it. So I asked myself is, at the very base level, what do I care about? What is something I could work on for the rest of my life? What is something I can obsess over that almost feels like endlessly interesting and uh, has something deeper than just being successful or just making money? Uh, And for me, working in consumer, working in social, working in things that I believe is genuinely of service to humanity, I think all great consumer companies reflect humanity back onto itself or at least a a fraction or a part of uh, humanity. So I wanted to work on a piece that mattered a lot to me. I believe if I were to die today, I'd be the collection of my life experiences, period. That's it. That's who I would be. So when I think about what do I want to become, I want to become someone who has a healthy relationship with friends and family. I want to become someone who has a healthy relationship with his time, with how he lives, how I live my life, right? And I want to increase my life experience every day. And so, what I love about IRL is we say internally, our goal is to help everyone live their best life, and everyone has their own definition of what their best life is, so our goal and my goal is one to live my best life and to obsess over building a product that helps everyone that live, live their best life and that's that's the root of it, and that's something I can wake up every day just stoked to work on
0: that's awesome that's awesome i I appreciate you sharing your shift in starting you know an enterprise company and why you wanted to shift in, in terms of uh, creating an impact in you know consumers and people. Some people hate calling consumers consumers, just you know helping people globally help them out with their life and creating an impact. What was kind of like maybe like the problem that you were? initially set out to solve or were thinking about when you first started IRL and maybe what were some of like the apps at the time or you know pieces of software that maybe you were using and you were figuring out for different use cases that that, that there had to be a uh, better way.
1: Yeah, so rooting back to all great consumer companies reflect humanity back onto itself, right? The biggest thing that we see in social is social media. The The media part of social. I think people forget sometimes that you can be social without having it without needing media as a part of it. And so for me, I'm not a person who likes to post a lot of media, but I'm a person who likes to have friends. I think there's a lot of people who fit into that bucket. And so I was feeling working in tech living in San Francisco, I was feeling the paradox that I think all of us feel, which is like I'm more connected than ever before. But I also feel lonely and I also feel disconnected and I'm having a hard time finding friends or organizing with friends or making plans with friends. And at the time, Instagram got acquired by Facebook for a billion dollars. And I remember I remember when Instagram first launched, I asked myself, why would I use Instagram? All my friends are on Facebook. I can post a photo on Facebook. Everyone sees it. What's the point? And then after I started using it, which I think uh, is real for a lot of people, I realized that it's nice to have a singular focused app for a purpose. So meaning like, you know, it's a vertical vertical network for sharing photos, videos, and you have a smaller subset and oftentimes even a different subset from your Facebook friends. So at the time I was like, oh my God, I actually feel more comfortable. There's more psychological safety or uh, there's lower cognitive load to sharing a photo or video on Instagram than it is on Facebook. And so as I was thinking about the fact that Social is really big in media. And I was thinking, you know, rooting back to how humans organize is like the root of being a human, one of the core pieces of being a human is organizing in a group and doing things together, right? That, that's even how we've survived as, as humans is not as individuals, but as groups, right? You organize in a group to kill a tiger. You organize a group to live in the jungle or whatever it might be. But we are group people. We are community people. That's how we survive, right? And so thinking about that and thinking about how there is no one singular product that's that I can go to to find all the groups and events and things that I could do in a city or, or in the world. It's buried within Facebook and Facebook is so big that, you know, those of us who use it, it kind of fits the need enough. Uh, but I was like, wow, okay, Instagram took photos and videos off Facebook and built a vertical network around it. If I want to work on groups and events, I can do the same thing. I just build a vertical network around groups and events and pull it off of Facebook. Uh, so Instagram was a big inspiration for me because I was like if they could do it for photos and videos, I could do it for groups and events.
0: How did you think when you were thinking about constructing a platform uh, for communities, how did you think about like the multiple use cases that you were trying to solve for that you weren't seeing at the time? Maybe it was already there, but just buried in a social media app that you wanted to bring out and have that be the main functionality for IRL? What was kind of your approach?
1: Yeah, so if you think about where groups organize today, I would say the vast majority of groups are in a messenger. They're in a messenger-based product. Facebook is a discussion board-based product, right, because uh, they have a handful of reasons why that would be the case. But thinking about how all my real groups live in a messenger, I was like, okay, well, what if a messenger was a social network? What if a messenger had discovery? Like at the root, every community needs to be able to communicate. They want to organize and schedule events. And some communities, based on their privacy settings, want to be discovered. They want more people to join, like the local soccer club or the local fan group of any kind, or maybe you just want to join a group to talk about your favorite TV show. And so what I really looked at is, okay, well, if the majority of groups that we all experience live in a messenger, like, let's make the messenger the social network. Try to to keep it simple, right? Uh, But evolve the way that we experience social from a feed-based model to a messaging-based model. And I think that all of us can reflect on the reality that probably the most meaningful social interaction that we have that doesn't count media is in a messenger, right? So how do we evolve that experience?
0: So, how, how did you also think about when you're initially getting started? Because, of course, as you say, when it comes to community, creating events, you know, I think that um, if you're human, you, you want to be in communities, you want to create events, right? So, how did you think about you know, your like, kind of segmentation and who you wanted to target initially in terms of the word and also how it kind of relates to scale?
1: Yeah. So, I believe uh, come for the tool, stay for the network is a very real thing. So at the very beginning for us, we asked ourselves, okay, you know, we have a few million bucks. We can't build the entire vision day one. Where do we start? What is the tool that we can offer uh, that helps give people value day one while they build their network? So we were like, okay, well, thinking about events, thinking about what are the types of events that exist? The reality is there aren't just Real world events. There can be events of like your favorite TV shows or events of your, the basketball schedule. Uh, if you're an NBA fan, there's astrological events. And all of a sudden we're like, okay, well, what if we indexed all events, right? Like, uh, a calendar essentially, right? Social calendar. What if we index all events and you could follow? Like, for example, I never know when my favorite TV show is on or off. I just don't. And so part of, part of my solution was like, cause I don't watch TV, right? I watch on demand and a lot of us watch on demand. So I have absolutely no idea what the schedule is. So for me, I was like, okay, well, there's actually no place where I can go and follow my favorite TV show, follow, uh, you know, whatever thing that has a date time location, even if that location's online or in the stars, right? Like you can follow astrology accounts or astronomy accounts on IRL as well. So like, well, let's just give people the ability to follow anything that they might be interested in that has upcoming events, which turns out to be a lot, right? Whether it's local or global, turns out to be a lot. And then of course, what's fun with that is you can show like users and myself and anyone who uses it your friends who also like that thing right so you start to build an interest graph you start to build value and for us it's like giving you notifications like when the tv show's on and then giving you notifications of which of your friends are also interested in that tv show for example uh, and then it's like okay well start there that's value Um, And then over time, it's like, well, now you and your friend want to chat about that TV show. So then you offer a chat product, right? And it's like, well, now you and your friend want to join a group or create a group about that TV show that's beyond just the event, right? So it's starting from a tool and then help and then essentially building the network off of that,
0: right? Got it, got it. That makes sense. What action did you want when you were, obviously, new users were coming on, more communities were coming on. How did you also think about what action you wanted each member or or a group to make that made the product really sticky like I know like for example in Pinterest case they wanted the action to be initially for people to pin it to pin things and that really actually led to like more stickiness in the product How did you think about that you know kind of in the early days of IRL?
1: yeah so at the very beginning it was follow one calendar right So if you're following TV show calendar for example, you're gonna stay as an active user on IRL right? You're gonna get notifications about that TV show and you're gonna come back. The more calendars that you follow, the more activity that you'll have early on. All we needed to do is give you value, give you a reason to come back. And every time you come back, it's like, hey, some of your friends have joined, add them as friends. Oh, hey, there's this new thing that you can do, right? And the key really is just what's so cool about calendars and events is there's always something new upcoming, right? There's always something new forever. That's what's so cool about calendars, is actually it compounds in value. Like the, our product, compounds and value as you start to use it more and more because there's always something new to do right and there's always something interesting upcoming um so early on that was our focus now it's just as simple as getting every user into one meaningful group chat right um so at the beginning it was like follow your favorite tv show now it's like join the group or community based on your favorite tv show and now you're chatting and now there's the, there's even more value
0: I know that that in, in, in a lot of aspects this is very verticalized, right? In terms of you're you're dealing with community, but in some way as well, on the other kind of side of it, you're also bundling a couple of things, right? You're bundling messaging calendar and kind of a lot of different, you know, kind of community aspects or or tools that help build a community. Has it been challenging when people might be interested in IRL to think about that kind of user behavior and making that adjustment from the user from using, maybe it's a WhatsApp group, right? And then you're also you know putting things in the calendar, what have you, instead of saying, hey, IRL can kind of do it all for you in this kind of bundle. How do you think about that kind of aspect?
1: Yeah, I think one of the, I think this is, this is where art comes in. What I, what I say is I'm a fan of uh, things that are minimal and, and have depth. So for every user, it's I don't see it as like selling or pitching the depth. I think it's someone comes to solve a human need and over time they discover everything else that happens on the product. And so the key is, and this is something I obsess over all the time, is how do we make the product feel as simple as possible? But then as you want more things, you can uncover it or discover it. Uh, because in the same way that Apple proved people don't care about features and functions, right? the iPhone had less features and functions in many ways than other products at the time. But the experience was minimal and there was depth and there was this clarity, like low cognitive load, right? And so for us, I believe it's actually quite similar in the sense of just understanding why is someone coming to our product and can we give them or solve that need? And then over time, as they use it, they can be like, oh my God, this is cool. I didn't know I had this. Or, oh my God, it's cool. I didn't know I had this. And so it's just about that that simplicity, like if you go to our app today, for example, uh, the inbox looks like just any other messenger, right? And we do that on purpose. The inbox looks like a WhatsApp or a telegram or an iMessage. And we do that on purpose because I don't want people to be like, oh my God, what are all these things? Like what's happening? And it's only when you start diving into like an active community that has a bunch of events or you explore and you're like, oh, what are, what are things that I can find? Oh my God, there's all this cool stuff. So it's sort of like keeping it simple and allowing people to uncover it when they're interested.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah, and I imagine that's tough. But it, it just because you obviously want different features, different types of functionalities. Obviously, I'm sure you're thinking about different kind of use cases for IRL all the time. But at the same time, you do want it, you know, quite simple. So it's almost like a step by step process for people in terms of how they actually want to be involved and how they want to actually relate to your product, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. The difficulty is the opportunity. Like that's the art. What I say is, it's our job to work through complexity to deliver something dead freaking simple, right? And that complexity is the opportunity. A lot of the times what we talk about is every group is its own mini social network. So we talk about building, uh, offering Lego blocks for each community, right? So when you're creating a group, it's like some groups care about events, some groups don't. Maybe some groups care about sharing media or maybe some groups care about some other aspect. So what we see is our job to offer Lego blocks. And so each group can essentially put them together in a different way. Um, the reality with, let's say, uh, Telegram or WhatsApp is even simple things like threading a chat you don't get in Telegram or WhatsApp. And so the problem is you get this like really long thread, like really long main group chat that we've all seen uh, and we've all been a part of. That it's hard to structure conversations. And so when you think about how much meaningful social interaction happens in those products, but how they're mostly built to go after iMessage and not to be like a social network. Um, for us, it's like, you know, we have threading chat, we have, you know, events, we have a handful of components that offer a deeper experience within a messenger that feels simple, right? Our our job is still to feel like WhatsApp, but oh my God, I have all these things I can do when I'm interested in it. It's actually a lot deeper, right? Um, makes the conversation more structured. A lot of what we talk about internally is how do we allow for intimate conversations? How do we allow for deeper conversations? Like we've all felt that feeling like... I. I meant to send something, but the conversation changed. Like shit. Like I, I don't think I can send anymore. What do I do? Um, we've all felt that, and there's so much of like kind of just being like, okay, whatever. Or like coming back to a group chat and you like miss a thousand chats. And you're like, what? What am I supposed to do with this? Like, <laughs> how do I process what happened? Right. And so, in the same way that I believe when Instagram first launched, I was like, why? Why do I need to use this? I can use Facebook. I believe. Uh, the key here is what do the next five to 10 years, what does the next decade of messaging look like? What does the next decade of social interaction look like? And I can guarantee you it's not going to just stay the same simple flat screen of WhatsApp and Telegram. It's going to evolve. Mess- messaging is going to evolve. A- and we are focused on being on the forefront of of helping it evolve from a,
0: a social perspective. How also then did you think and approach Growth and some of the levers that that you kind of pulled. Did you find that? Because now, of course, you have you know millions of people using the app, uh, daily active users. um, You know, millions of people uh, have downloaded the app. But how did you also think about? Was it more so like organic, for example? Since obviously this is very, this is a. Community oriented app or platform. And so people were just telling their friends and friends and kind of inviting their friends, and it kind of you saw growth quite quickly in that way. Or was it kind of something different? We'd love to kind of, kind of understand how you, how you got there. Yeah. Everything
1: again, like comes down to just what do humans do, right? So, what's so cool about building an interest based graph or an interest based product is every human has an interest. Or a series of interests, right? Like I'm into certain TV shows, or I'm into certain playing certain board games, or I'm into certain sports teams, right? And not only does every human have an interest or series of interests, but humans have friends that they share that interest with, right? So our focus uh, from the very beginning through now is being the best place for you to share that interest. One with your friends to start, and then two, of course, d- discovering more people who have that interest, which is what we're what we're growing into now, which is like. A lot of discovery mechanisms around finding people who share your interest but the very beginning up until now like core growth is people inviting their friends to talk about and share their interest on our product right so talking about the tool right so offering a calendar to follow your favorite sports team your favorite tv show whatever it's like oh invite your friends to share this calendar with you uh there's no other place you can actually do that now other than Google, which feels super overwhelming and a lot of work to pull that off, right? So making it dead simple for you to share a calendar of your favorite, whatever your interest is, with your friends. That's how that's how we uh, focus on growth, which is just core human need, right?
0: So has that been has that been tough changing from a place where people are inviting their friends, they know they already have a pre existing relationship with the person that's in their community versus discovery and actually finding new communities, new people to talk to? Or has it not been that much because since you've built up, I'd imagine so many communities now that it's almost just like an unlock that you're kind of pressing for people?
1: Yeah, what we found is people really want to find other people who share their interests. And so the tough part is actually just getting discovery to be really good and getting the communities that we allow to be shown in the discovery section to also be really good. I believe there's a reason why you haven't seen Discord launch a discovery page themselves. I think there's a reason why, I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons why Telegram isn't doing it, but I think There's some difficulty in allowing for discovery from a product perspective. Facebook has group discovery, which is a big inspiration for us. But I think people take for granted how many engineers and how much time it has taken to get discovery really good on those products. And so for us, there's a lot of work in algorithmically building on the back end a way to tell the health of a group and the quality of a group so that we can surface it in discovery so that you're not joining some shitty group chat.
0: Right. Well that's a thing, right? I'd imagine like quality control once you open it up for for discovery would be very, very challenging to do at scale. So totally, totally understand that. And I know like the initial I guess, idea or, or concept behind IRL is also to get people to actually meet up in person, right? It's actually, even though, of course, it's you're, you're using your phone to do it, you're using electronics. The idea is ultimately to get them outside, to get them interacting, to get to kind of going back to, you know, kind of the, the human condition. Well, what was kind of going through your mind when March 2020 hit in COVID? Everything that's, you know, transpired over the past couple of years and, um, where did you feel, if you did so, have to make some changes?
1: Yeah, I uh, naturally distinctly remember that. I remember just sitting back and thinking, like, holy crap, what do we do? And then what I rooted back into is kind of like first principles in many ways, which is, what is the root of what we're offering? Why do people use our product? People use our product to connect, right? And the reality is, is when March 2020 hit, all of our schedules, all of our rituals, all of our habits got thrown out the window, all of it across the entire world, right? And so the consumer need to connect with other humans still exists. In fact, the consumer need skyrocketed to find ways to connect with other humans and to figure out what to do with your life on a daily basis. What do I do? How do I be social? What are things happening on the internet? In fact, there were so many questions as to like, okay, now this uh, music festival doesn't ex- exist or this venue doesn't exist. Like, how can, I, how can I socialize on the internet now that I'm stuck at home, right? So rooting back to first principles as to what we're offering, which is human connection, so, the service of helping humans connect and do more together, period. That's the service. And that service is important whether it's in person or it's online, right? Because we have meaningful experiences digitally, Uh, just as much as we have meaningful experiences physically. You know, there's a whole discussion on the metaverse around that. But at first, what looked like a problem really was a massive opportunity because consumer need to figure out ways to socialize skyrocketed. So from that perspective, I went, oh, my God, this problem became a great moment to showcase our service, our tool, our product. But we have to update the content. All the content that we had was about everything happening in person. So like, okay, well, let's, let's focus on everything happening digitally. And it just so happened that there was so much more digital, digital events happening than ever. Right. And also the consumer need to figure out where the heck, where and when those things were happening, like all of a sudden, also uh, borders didn't matter, right? Like I could tune into something happening in Italy and I would be more interested in it during COVID than I would be now. Right. So we were like, wow, um, the scale of our opportunity really opened up as long as we can meet the need. And what's cool is, I mean, we felt the need ourselves as a, as a team. We felt the need as individuals, right? I felt the need myself of like, what do I do? I'm stuck at home. Like this sucks. So it actually became a really good moment to work on something that was of service to not just uh, the world, but also ourselves. We were building something that helped us. Um, and so if, I think that I think that it became a really great opportunity, but it was a funny moment because even our investors when they were like triaging who had the what what companies had the highest risk of failure, we were at the top for for all of the for all the investors at the time of highest risk of failure.
0: <laughs> How also did you approach fundraising? Um I guess going back even when you started IRL from the very beginning, All the way up till now, what's been like? Kind of like the the approach in terms of who you wanted to choose from, in terms of um, investors, and as well as how much capital you wanted to raise.
1: Yeah. So when I was in school, I really, I mean, there were many times where I thought I was just going to be an academic my whole life. Um, I really love science. I really love the scientific method, and I I see. Startups are similar in the sense of you have an hypothesis, you build a prototype and you go get some data, right? Some people are able to self-fund the pre-seed version of this. Some people go raise money for just their hypothesis, right? But then each round that you do, your goal is to have more data to support your hypothesis or your thesis and then either support it or maybe it evolves and you're like, oh my God, this opportunity is bigger than I thought. Or, oh my God, this opportunity is smaller than I thought. I shouldn't go raise money for it or we got to shut it down, right? And that really happens for the life of the company, right? Like even Mark Zuckerberg saying, hey, I have a new hypothesis, the metaverse is the future, we're going after it. You know, it's just just the scientific method at the end of the day. And then just like pursuing that further, right? And so when I approach raising funds, I basically approach it like science. Like here's my hypothesis, here's my thesis, here's the data I have. And each next chapter, each next raise, right? Seed series A, series B, if you don't have more data to either support your hypothesis or thesis and to push it further, then one, you can't raise, but then two, if you have great data, then you, you go and raise off of that, right? So the investors need to buy into the thesis, they need to buy into the long-term version of that thesis. And for every individual and entrepreneur, including myself, I'm looking for people who see the world similarly to the way that I see it, right? So I'll give them an example. I believe... It's our responsibility as technologists to not just build things that m- to make people click more or tap more or view more. I believe it's also our responsibility to build something that helps evolve humanity. Uh, and I believe great consumer companies do that either intentionally or unintentionally has massive impact on culture and humanity, period. So spending some time and intention on influencing that in a positive, meaningful way is what drives me. So I was looking for Investors who really believed in that and really saw the world the same way, and I'm really grateful that I've been able to partner with some incredible people who see the world the same way.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, And I I really appreciate you um, explaining your approach to fundraising. I'm, I'm sure entrepreneurs are are that are listening will will definitely find that helpful. I know you've also mentioned you know metaverse a couple times, and it seems like when we think about You know, the term community today, which of course is is a big focal point in terms of on your mission and IRL. We think about and virtual communities with metaverse and being more more immersed. We also think about web three and like what the blockchain could unlock for community, particularly for creators. What are your kind of thoughts towards, you know, these these kind of things and where you think that IRL kind of fits?
1: Yeah. So in the same way that IRL was able to adapt to COVID because people are organizing and meeting up and doing things virtually as well as physically, I believe the metaverse already exists today and the people who are winning are Roblox and Epic Games. Um, and you know I think we even see it with Minecraft, right? So I think that while Facebook is is pushing, let's call it the VR metaverse. The metaverse already exists today and is already really big with a subset of people. And what's really cool, and the reason why I bring up uh, Roblox, Fortnite, is we see people organizing on IRL with their friends or new people to go meet up and, and play Fortnite or play Roblox or play Minecraft. Uh, and so my belief is people are going to organize, or they're going to organize in groups, they're going to chat and they're going to meet up forever. Whether they do it in the metaverse or the real world or some future thing, that's what they're going to do. And so our job is to be the place where they organize, communicate, and make those plans. One of the things that I asked myself in building IRL is, what is something that can live beyond my lifetime? I was inspired by that question because I asked um, one of my friends who runs Automatic, uh, Matt Mullenweg. I asked him, I was like, what are what are some of the things that drive you uh, when you run this company? And he's one of the things he said really stu- stood out to me, which is, he said, I want I want this company to live beyond me. And you basically I, I've up until that moment, I'd never heard anyone say that in tech. And so that became something I asked myself going back to why I built IRL. But it fits to this question, which is to be able to answer the question, how do you build something that lives beyond you? It has to have this core human need that is also beyond a mobile app or beyond a website. It's just like, what, do you, what are you supporting in terms of for humans? And so for me, I'm like, cool. The metaverse. Some subset of people across the world are going to organize in a metaverse. I mean, we had sec- we have Second Life. We have all of these things, right? So our job is just to be the best place to organize in groups, communicate, and make plans to go do a thing, whether it's in the metaverse or in the real world.
0: So it's almost like the layer to actually uh, for communication, messaging, calendar. Where kind of like you're, almost like your organizer per se. To then go out and then, how then do you think about partnering with different applications, whether they're games, other social media platforms? You know, how do you think about it from from that perspective as well?
1: We're in active conversations with a handful of people that I named around partnering to support because what they want is they want more people to go play their game. So if if we're helping uh, get more people to go play their game more often, they're stoked. Right, we have this kind of virtuous cycle because we're not trying to keep people on our product. We're just trying to help people figure out what they're going to go do next.
0: Right? Got it. Got it. That's really helpful. I wanted to also talk a bit about this year too. I know that a lot of companies in this market are having new layoffs. I know you had to lay off. I think a quarter of your of your staff would which must have been, you know, really heartbreaking to do. Um, How do you think about kind of the next few years of of IRL and in terms of like coming out of this market as as well?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Definitely a tough time. Definitely sucks. And, you know, when I talk about living organisms, it's hard to talk about being a living organism without talking about adaptation, right? Because I think it goes hand in hand. Information in the world is always changing. So... Being able to adapt to our changing environment uh, is important and, and sometimes hard. Between COVID and this, it's a funny time to be alive, for sure. I think the reality is, for me, I'm incredibly inspired. And I was since the beginning. Instagram got to a billion in valuation and getting acquired with 15 employees, right? WhatsApp got acquired for 19 billion with 300 or 400 million users with 50 employees. 400 million users, roughly, and 50 employees. That's insane. And so for me, I think the key is getting to the essence or the core, or for our product, for consumer, you know, because we don't have like enterprise software sales people and all these things. Like we actually don't need that many people. We just need the right set of people. And what's cool is when you have a, let's call it 50, 60 people everyone is playing a really big role. So it becomes really fun for every, every person who's working at the company because you're having an impact, right? I think part of why people leave these big companies is they feel like a cog in the machine. And so the biggest question that companies in the growth phase like IRL always have is how do we not fall for the same bureaucratic tendencies of Google and Facebook and these really big companies where it's just a bunch of people frustrated that they're not making enough progress and lots of bureaucracy. And so the way to get out of this, the way that we specifically will thrive and be successful is finding a way to be impactful um, with the set of employees that we have uh, inspired by WhatsApp, as an example.
0: I, I really appreciate you sharing that. What's one book that's inspired you personally and one book that's inspired you professionally?
1: Well, personally, any book written by Thich Han has really impacted me. I believe everyone has their own philosophy that hits them hard. But for me, Thich Nhat Hanh, and I'll share like a poem from one of his books. I can't remember the name of it now because I've probably read like 30 of his books. The reality is he had this one poem. It's called I Want It All. I'm not going to do a, a great job of rephrasing it, but I'm going to share the essence that I took from it. So essentially this, this, this poem, I Want It All, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. A monk saying he wants it all. What is that about? Um, and so he talks about, how everyone's looking for a shore to set anchor at, like the safety, the safe place. And his brother lost everything and came to one of his monasteries to to seek safety, to seek stability. Uh, And he's like, I let my brother stay there and cry his eyes out and stay there for years. And he's like, at one point, my brother was essentially, his brother was not really living his life, just stuck in this monastery. So he went and he burned his brother's hut down. And he literally did this and wrote a poem about it. He burned his brother's hut down. The last thing that his brother felt was his safe place, right? And he said, I sat there and watched my brother experience the feeling of losing the last thing that felt like stable to him. And he goes, at the end, my brother wanted it all as much as I did. And what I took from that is wanting everything from your life, And realizing there's no real such thing as stability in the sense of like, everything's changing, everything's moving. I mean, we've experienced that and we've talked about it from like COVID to this new world, right? The only thing that's truly stable from these philosophies is yourself being at peace within yourself and trusting and knowing that everything's going to be okay. But we have to go and live our life, right? We have to go and live our life and want as much from our life as possible. So when What I took from that, and I take that inspiration from that every day is I want it all in the sense of I want everything from my life every day. I want to show up every day and give 110% because it's my life, you know, and I want the most from that. Whatever that is, whatever that means, I want the most of it every day. That's even the philosophy of live your best life, right? This whole philosophy of IRL is like helping everyone get the most from their life, period. And I think that at the root, we all need. To answer the question of why. Why do we get up in the morning? Why do we do a thing? And we all have our own versions of the story, right? And for me, I can just root back to as long as every day I gave it my best. As long as every day I gave it my best. That's all uh, that I can ask for myself, right? And another uh, takeaway from from that poem was also releasing fear, right? His brother was afraid in many ways. And so when uh, Thich Nhat Hanh burned his hut down, he he, kind of like showed him that there's like nothing to be afraid of, right? Everything, like just, you have to go out and do a thing because fear can be crippling for us, right? All of us, including myself, I deal with fear every day. And what I have to do is say like, you know what? I just have to go and do my best and that's it. Every day I just have to show up and I have to do my best. And, you know, I think that that relates to work and life. Work and life are, are the same for me in many ways. And so like that philosophy rooted in, this idea that, and I really like this. This will be the last part on, on the topic of on Han, what I took from his books. But he talks about how joy and excitement are fleeting. You can't be excited at all times, right? It's a, it's a temporary feeling. But the feeling that you can feel uh, consistently is peace. You can be at peace when something good is happening. You can be at peace when something bad is happening. It can be the place that you find comfort that you can stand on. And the key of all of these teachings really is just like being able to, like what I've taken from it at least, is being able to stand on a foundation within yourself versus looking for it externally, right? Because there are so many things out of our control. COVID, recession, inflation, basically almost everything is out of our control except for our ability to relate to it, right? Um, And so to me, that is At the root of it, that is everything. Um, And great workbooks, I mean, hard thing, about hard things, great book, zero to one, great book. Like Netflix, no rules, rules, great book. Um, But to me, those personal philosophies really drive everything that I do.
0: I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, We haven't had anyone on the show mention to Nahan yet. So that's really exciting to add that poem to to, to our list online. My final question to you is what's maybe the biggest piece of advice that you've received or that you passed on to someone?
1: That's a great question. The biggest piece of advice, period, I think is all around adaptation and speed of learning. A handful of people I'm very inspired by, uh, and mentors that I have. I started a handful of them with this same statement, which is, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) That's how I started my conversations with these people who became mentors and people who I learned from, a handful of them, and all of them responded the same way. They're like, that's it, that's the energy. Because the key isn't to let your ego drive and say that you know everything. The key is speed of learning. It's not about being right. It's about learning fast, right? And the same kind of themes of like the scientific method and the themes of just like putting things out there and learning, right? Consistently learning and iterating, learning and iterating. Uh, It also goes to the theme of adaptation, right? Adaptation, the speed of adaptation comes with the speed of learning. So it's not about being right. Um, It's about learning as fast as possible, right? And so adaptation and the speed of learning is my obsession and I believe is the reason why I am where I am today. And it will be at the core, the reason why I'm successful. My company hears, hears me say this every day, speed of learning, speed of learning. You either learn slow or you learn fast. And so the key is just like continually learn as fast as you possibly can. That, that has come into philosophies in Silicon Valley, like fail fast and fail often. But I don't even think it has anything to do with fail, failure or success. I think it's just literally how quickly are you learning and getting new information and your ability to get out of your own way and not let your ego drive the car.
0: I love that, I love that. Abe, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Happy to be here, thanks for having me. There you have it, it was great chatting with Abe. I hope you all enjoyed listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host Mike, on Twitter, at mikegelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone.